<clears throat> this is the fourth day of this September 2022 seven-day session. And before we uh, return to the uh, teachings of a Japanese Zen master, Basui, uh, <clears throat> I'm going to read uh, from uh, a book about the uh, the mysteries of of uh, water and air waves uh, and there's a there's a chapter here that uh, Roshi Kaplo read in the mid 1970s about uh, birds in migration flying in migration and uh, it struck me at the time and it always has since then as just just a magnificent analogy for this great mysterious power uh, we call Sashin. It's, uh, the book is called Sensitive Chaos, and it's by Theodore Schwenk. And uh, in this, this part that I photocopied, 40 years ago, <clears throat> uh, he he poses the question about about birds in flight and flying in formation, in particular an arrow formation uh, or a slanting line, as we see here with the both of those uh, with the uh, geese. <coughs> this is this is a time of. Uh, sounds of migrating geese. We hear them every day now. And uh, he's quoting Schwenk, the author of the book, is quoting the work of a, a researcher uh, by the name of Schieferstein. I googled it and found nothing. He discovered that birds flying in an arrow or wedge formation are linked together through the air connecting them, or rather through the elasticity of the air. The birds move in an aerial form they have created for themselves as a totality, but which has an effect on each individual bird. Now here's where he gets into it. Each bird lies on a wave made in the air by the leader. The beats of their wings follow the ups and downs of the wave and simply make visible what, as a vibrating aerial form, surrounds and bears them all in the arrow formation. By studying the wing positions of the birds flying in arrow formation, Schieferstein was able to deduce the actual shape of the form. Each bird flies in a fixed position in the aerial form, and the form itself unites all the individual birds. A single bird does not need much strength, for it is as though the movement of the wave of air were to raise and lower its wings for it. If one of the birds has an excess of energy, 
it will do more than simply allow itself to be carried along. With the beating of its wings, it will strengthen the whole wave, will infuse the aerial form with energy from which all will benefit who would, on their own, no longer have the strength to fly. These take energy from the whole moving field of air. And this is one of the most interesting parts. Indeed, even the leading bird itself draws energy from this field. And it's, it says that Schieferstein says the idea that the bird flying at the apex of the triangle has to work harder than those following it is wrong. The wave of the field of airstreams created reciprocally by all the separate birds spreads out in space with the speed of sound and therefore, because the speed at which the birds fly is much slower, it precedes them considerably. So the leading bird can, if necessary, take energy from the field just as can all the others. This is the to me, the most obvious thing and always has been as a teacher is how much energy I get from all of you, including people who are participating online. This is a <clears throat> just one more paragraph. The arrow formation is a totality in which the separate birds are embedded like organs. A new body has been created out of air in which, as with the body of sound of an orchestra, the single instrument to a great extent merges into the whole. It is, however, a necessary part of the whole. The separate birds are linked together by the surrounding air as though by elastic threads. The air, which connects the birds like an elastic medium, <clears throat> acts like a muscle. It unites the different limbs of the formation into a unity that was not there before <clears throat> and is caused to do this by a, a higher being, namely the group soul of these birds. One might also say that the, this group soul manifests itself in the density of air and acts as an integrating muscular system. Thus it comes about that during a long flight over many hundreds of miles, or seven days, each single bird, elastically connected with the whole flight, beats its wings exactly as many times as all the others in the formation. I don't know how, uh, how they could measure that, but the entire process is an aerial form, an organic whole moving through the air. The bird is a creature of the air. It is born out of the air and entrusts itself to it. It cannot possibly be abandoned by the air.
Now back to uh, the uh, 14th century Japanese Zen master Basui from reading from the Three Pillars of Zen. We left off yesterday um, where he's uh, urging uh, those who have had even even some insight, some breakthrough uh, to not settle for that. And remember, he said, uh, to do so would be like someone who, having found copper, gives up the desire for gold. And then, regarding the deeper realization, he says, with such realization, you achieve true emancipation. But even now, repeatedly cast off what has been realized turning back to the subject that realizes, that is, to the root bottom, and resolutely go on. Uh, sometimes when people come and it's not, they have, they have maybe the slightest of, of uh, awakenings, it's not always so crystal clear whether they do, and and I sometimes will say to them, I, I think it's, it's not time yet. I think it's, you still have to, have to further to go. But even if, it, even if it were something more significant, if it were some real awakening, you just have to forget about it. It's the same whether you have or haven't. We just discard, just leave everything behind. Every experience we have, every insight, every awakening, just go on. Forget it. To do so, he says, your, your self-nature will then grow brighter and more transparent as your delusive feelings perish like a gem gaining luster under repeated polishing until at last it positively illumines the entire universe. Don't doubt this. Should your yearning be too weak to lead you to this state in your present lifetime, you will undoubtedly gain self-realization easily in the next, provided you are still engaged in this questioning at death. Just as yesterday's work half done was finished easily today. In Zazen, neither reject nor cling to the thoughts that arise. Only search your own mind, the very source of these thoughts. You must understand that anything appearing in your consciousness or seen by your eyes is an illusion of no enduring reality. That's, that's what illusion in this case means. Uh, it just is it's impermanent. Hence you should neither fear nor be fascinated by such phenomena. Uh, makes me think of Machio, these side effects, 
that are so common, especially in Sashin, hallucinations, uh, getting into uh, strong emotional states, uh, sometimes crying, fears, anxieties. Uh, so don't, eat, don't, don't fear such things and don't be uh, enthralled by such things. If you keep your mind as empty as space, unstained by extraneous matters, nothing can disturb you even on your deathbed. While engaged in zazen, however, keep none of this counsel in mind. See, even there, he's, he's offering the, this wisdom of his deep realization, and he's saying, but wait, don't even, even don't, when you're sitting, don't think about what I'm saying. You don't need to. If it helped, okay, but you don't need to. He says you must only become the question, what is mind? Or, what is Mu? What is it? Who am I? When you realize this mind, you will know that it is the very source of all Buddhas and sentient beings. That is the the enlightened and the unenlightened. At work, at rest, never stop trying to realize who it is that hears. Or it could, I think more, it'd be better to say what it is that hears. Who implies a person, which is not entirely accurate even though that's our conditioning. We so easily think of ourselves as a person, a, a fixed person. But it goes beyond personhood because it goes beyond selfhood. Never stop trying to realize what it is that hears. Even though your questioning penetrates the unconscious, you won't find the one who hears and your efforts will come to naught. Yet, sounds can be heard. So question yourself to an even deeper level. At last, every vestige of self-awareness will disappear, and you will feel like a cloudless sky. Within yourself, you will find no I, nor will you discover anyone who hears. This, of course, is the great mystery of it all, the unbelievable mystery of it all. No fixed self, then who's hearing? Right now, who's hearing these words? Really, what is hearing these words? Do not mistake this state for self-realization, but continue to ask yourself even more intensely. If you bore and bore into this question, oblivious to anything else, 
Even this feeling of voidness will vanish and you won't be aware of anything. Total darkness will prevail. Don't stop here, but keep asking with all your strength, what is it that hears? Only when you have completely exhausted the questioning will the question burst. Now you will feel like one who has come back from the dead. This is true realization. You will see the Buddhas of all the universes face to face and the ancestors past and present. If you don't come to realization in this present life, when will you? Once you have died, you won't be able to avoid a long period of suffering in the three evil paths. We mentioned yesterday, that's the three lowest of the six realms of unaligned existence. And then this is the part that used to tear into me while I was working on Mu. What is obstructing realization? Nothing but your own half-hearted desire for truth. Think of this and exert yourself to the utmost. And now uh, it uh, turns toward letters, Basui answering letters. And this first one is to a man from Kumasaka, to whom he writes, You asked me to write you how to practice Zen on your sickbed. Who is he that is sick? Who is he that is practicing Zen? Do you know who you are? One's whole being is Buddha nature. One's whole being is the great way. The substance of this way is inherently immaculate and transcends all forms. Is there any sickness in it? One's own mind, one's own True mind is the essential substance of all Buddhas, one's face before her parents' birth. It is the matter of seeing and hearing of all the senses. One who fully realizes this is a Buddha. One who does not is an ordinary human being. Hence, all Buddhas and ancestors point directly to the human mind so that one can see his own self-nature and thereby attain enlightenment. For the best relief for one perplexed by shadows is to see the real thing. And then uh, Basui Uh, draws from a a parable, I guess you'd call it. Once a man was invited to the home of a friend. As he was about to drink a cup of wine offered him, he believed he saw a baby snake inside his cup. 
not wishing to embarrass his host, so Japanese, not wishing to embarrass his host by drawing attention to it, he bravely swallowed it. You know, when I was working with Roshi on one of his books, he he smiled and said, you know, uh, when I translated this, he said, uh, it just said snake. He believed he saw a snake inside his cup. And I said to Yastani Roshi, who would think a full-grown snake is in one's cup? Let's call it a baby snake. <laughs> and uh, and uh, <laughs> Yasutani said, you Westerners with your rational minds, uh, <laughs> this would not be a problem for Japanese. You don't have to make it a baby snake. Interestingly, uh, my sister Sonia Roshi was uh, giving Sashin in Mexico once, and there in the Doksan room, she had her, her cup of water. And one morning she looked down, about to pick up her cu- picking up her cup of water, and there was a toad in it. <laughs> you never know what's going to happen in Mexico. I would come out of uh, Teixo, uh, and, and almost every day, actually, uh, as I was walking across this sh- short stretch of lawn, uh, as I was rounded this one corner, a huge iguana would flop down at my feet. I mean, it wasn't anything to worry about. He was more worried about me than, than the other way around. We also had our share of scorpions there in the Zendo in Mexico. And as part of uh, the opening guidelines that were read uh, to tell people uh, that if they were there sitting on the floor in the Zendo and a scorpion was approaching them, uh, not to just sit and <laughs> it was okay to move, signal to the monitor that uh, this was going on. The monitor would uh, get a, a cup and a piece of cardboard and uh, compassionately uh, remove the scorpion from the zendo. I'm trying to fish out a, another story that just flitted through my mind involving creatures in in Mexico oh well so again not wishing to embarrass his host by drawing attention to it he bravely swallowed it upon returning home he felt severe pains in his stomach Many remedies were applied, but in vain, and the man, now grievously ill, felt he was about to die. His friend, hearing of his condition, asked him once more to his home. (laughs) 
he sat his friend in the same place, the host sat the, the guy into the stomach problem, and he again offered him a cup of wine, telling him it was medicine. As the ailing man raised his cup to drink, once again he saw a baby snake in it. This time he drew his host's attention to it. Okay, Without a, a word, the host pointed to the ceiling above the guest where a bow hung. Suddenly, the man, sick man realized that the baby snake, quote-unquote, was the reflection of the hanging bow. Even that stretches one's mind. A, a hanging bow looking like a baby snake. Both men looked at each other and laughed. The pain of the sick man vanished instantly, and he recovered his health. And then, he, then Basui continues... Becoming awakened is analogous to this. The patriarch Yoka, that's a Yoka Daishi, great Japanese master, when you realize the true nature of the universe, you know that there is neither subjective nor objective reality. At the very moment, karmic formations which would carry you to the lowest hell are wiped out. At that very moment. Karmic formations which carry you to the lowest hell are wiped out. And that's the end of what Yoka Daishi said. This true nature is the root substance of every sentient being. Human beings, however, can't bring themselves to believe that their own mind is itself the great completeness realized by the Buddha. So they cling to superficial forms and look for truth outside this mind, striving to become a Buddha through ascetic practices. But as the illusion of an ego self does not vanish, one must undergo intense suffering in the three worlds. He's like the one who became sick, believing he had swallowed a baby snake. Various, various remedies were of no avail, but he recovered instantly upon realizing the basic truth. So that various remedies were of no avail is an allusion to this uh, reference about ascetic practices of uh, uh, the Buddha, Siddhartha, uh, thinking he could come to enlightenment through these uh, severe self-mortifications of near starvation and self-punishment, which was a a path, a, a a respected path in the India of the uh, 5th century B.C. We have our own uh, milder versions of that where people f- feel that somehow they can achieve ultimate peace of mind, body-mind, by uh, getting, getting ever more involved in... Uh, dietary practices or other other things that would supposedly uh, achieve uh, self-mastery over the over the body and the mind there's a line in the uh, in the Mumon Khan where Mumon says rather than give relief to the body give relief to the mind Here we can have any number of uh, physical problems, p- 
physical pain and other problems crop up. And it's only sensible to do what we can. In the case of uh, physical pain, we can um, adjust our cushions um, before uh, taking our seat. We can experiment a little bit with the cushions. Um, but, but there's another approach uh, that can work with that, which is to lose oneself in the practice. lose oneself in the practice, absorption in the practice. That can go a long way to clearing up one's physical pains and other problems. Maybe not in all cases. Let's not make an absolute out of it, but it can go a long way. Once I was tormented by pain uh, in my, my sort of the hara region, the, the hip joint in the front, uh, it, it just was driving me crazy. Um, I kept trying to monkey with my posture, adjust how I sat, and it had no effect at all. And it was something like two or three days of just recurrent searing pain in that section. And I I realized uh, later, uh, because it was really only that bad in one session, I realized later that it was uh, because uh, I was too tense. Um, And I was too tense because in my mind I was grasping for this thing that I wanted. Can't you? Get it. Gotta get it. Gotta get it. And it creates physical tension. But but the way I found my way out of that was to just give everything over to Mu. Just okay. Pain, no pain. Just Mu. Just Mu. Yes, I noticed the pain. Just Mu. And evidently, it seems that what happened was that set up a kind of a release in the mind, a release of mental tension, a release of grasping, which then uh, relieved uh, the pain in the body. It's faith. There it is, faith. What What do you have more faith in? Tinkering with your posture, and, and le- leaving it at that, again, that's okay, but leaving it at that, don't leave it at that. Have faith in the mind, the, the work of the mind, the practice. Rather than giving relief to the body, give relief to the mind. It continues, so just look into your own mind. No one can help you with nostrums, with cures. In a sutra, the Buddha said, if you would get rid of your foe, your enemy, you have only to realize that that enemy is delusion. 
All phenomena in the world are illusory. They have no abiding substance. Sentient beings, always remember when they, in these texts, you say sentient beings, it means the so-called unenlightened. It's a pairing, the Buddhas and sentient beings, the enlightened and the seemingly unenlightened. Sentient beings, no less than Buddhas, are like images reflected in water. One who does not see the true nature of things mistakes shadows for substance. That is to say, in Zazen, the state of emptiness and quiet which results from the diminution of thought is often confused with one's face before one's parents were born. In other words, getting into a state of deep quiet, stillness, is not to be mistaken for a real breakthrough. And he says this serenity is also a reflection upon the water. You must advance beyond the stage where your reason is of any avail. In this extremity of not knowing what to think or do, ask yourself, who is the master? Who am I? What is it? What is Mu? This practice will become your intimate only after you have crushed a chunk of ice in fire. Tell me now, who is this most intimate of yours? And then he answers, Today is the eighth of the month, tomorrow is the thirteenth. Bringing it back to just this. And here's another letter. This is to the abbess of Shinryuji. Shinryuji. Ji just means temple. So, Shinryu temple. In order to come to awakening, you must discover who it is that wants to come to awakening. It's a good, that's a good opening statement. Get your mind off awakening. And bring it back to the the one who is experiencing the subject. To know this subject, you must right here and now probe deeply into yourself, inquiring, what is it that thinks in terms of good and bad, that sees, that hears? If you question yourself profoundly in this way, you will surely enlighten yourself. The mind which the Buddhas realized in their enlightenment is the mind of all sentient beings, our essential nature. The substance of this mind is pure, harmonizing with its surroundings. In a woman's body, it has no female form. In a man's body, it has no appearance of male. Like boundless space, it hasn't a particle of color. The physical world can be destroyed, but formless, colorless space is indestructible. 
This mind, this true mind, like space, is all-embracing. It does not come into existence with the creation of our body, nor does it perish with its disintegration. There's a line uh, from a verse in the Mumonkan, um, when the universe is annihilated, it remains indestructible. Though invisible, it suffuses our body, and every single act of seeing, hearing, smelling, speaking, moving the hands and legs is simply the activity of this true mind. Whoever searches for Buddha and truth outside this mind is deluded. There has never been a Buddha, an enlightened one, who has not realized this self-nature, and every last being within the six realms of existence is perfectly endowed with it. Everyone who has realized this nature and attained to enlightenment wants to make it known to others. But people clinging stupidly to superficial forms find it hard to believe in this purposeless dharmakaya, this pure, true Buddha. Uh, clinging stupidly to superficial forms. Uh, in, uh, in the sutras, uh, the Buddha talks about this attachment to name and form. It's another, it's another good uh, coupling to, to understand if you're reading sutras. Name and form are linked because uh, we human beings of every culture and every language, we see differences in Forms, table, tan, Buddha, flowers, stick, tree. We see these different forms, different appearances, and we, someone a long time ago, assigned names to them, different names, and the different names reinforce the idea that the world is fragmented. It's, it's the, the idea... The perspective, it reinforces the perspective that there is only differentiation because of our attachment to name and form, to appearances. But this, of course, is just half the truth. Within all of the different forms, all the diversity, there is just this, there is the, the indivisible Let's let these geese tell it.
can any teacher compete with that? <laughs> Referring again to this essential nature of ours, uh, he says to give it a name, uh, the enlightened ones ref- resort to such metaphors as the treasure gem of free will, the great path, Amitabha Buddha, Buddha of supreme knowledge, Jizo, Kanon, Fugen. Fugen is uh, Samantabhadra, the Bodhisattva of action. One's face before one's parents were born. Every epithet of a Buddha or a Bodhisattva is simply a different designation for the one mind. If one believes in her own Buddha mind, it is the same as believing in all enlightened ones. Thus, in a sutra we read, the three worlds are but one mind. Outside this mind, nothing exists. Mind, Buddha, sentient beings are one and are not to be differentiated. Since the sutras deal only with this mind, to realize it is to accomplish at one stroke the reading and understanding of all the sutras. One sutra says, the teachings of the sutras are like a finger pointing to the moon. And then Basui continues, these teachings are the sermons that have been preached by all the Buddhas. Pointing to the moon is, is pointing to the one mind of sentient beings. Just as it is said that the moon shines upon both sides of the earth, in the same way, the one mind illumines the inner and outer world. When it is said, then, that great merit can be derived from reciting the sutras, this means what has just been said and nothing more. In other words, it's, it's just it's, it's true as far as it goes, but it doesn't go that far because it's just about causation of piling up uh, merit, Awakening reveals what is beyond causation, reveals the a-causal. So we, we say in the Hakuin chant, the gate to the oneness of cause and effect is thrown open. He says, thus, the merit of realizing this one mind, coming to awakening, in a single instant, is infinitely greater than that of reciting the sutras for 10,000 days. Just as perceiving one's own nature in a moment of single-mindedness is incomparably greater than hearing for 10,000 years why this is so. But, then he acknowledges the the uh, upaya, the skillful means. But just as one must progress from shallow to deep by degrees, so is it a blessing for beginners 
to recite sutras enthusiastically. So that's why we do it. That's why we chant twice a day in Sashin. For them, it is like getting onto a raft or a boat as a first step. But if they do not yearn to reach the other shore of realization, contenting themselves to remain forever on the raft, they only deceive themselves. Shakyamuni Buddha underwent many austerities, yet failed to attain Buddhahood. After this, he did Zazen for six years, giving up everything else, and at last realized this one mind. Following his perfect enlightenment, he spoke about the mind he had realized for the sake of all mankind. These talks are called sutras and are the words flowing from the realized mind of the Buddha. Let's stop here and recite the four vows.